This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Well, family, this evening, um, I have the privilege, as I say, of ministering the Word of God to you. And the title of the message this evening is called Out of the Cave. Out of the Cave. And so let me just tell you straight up front that this is a message about depression and mental illness and how we deal with it, what causes us to get into it, how to get out of it. And so that'll help us uh, as we go on this journey. Now, I'm sure you'll all agree with me. All of us at some point in our lives have highs and we have lows. Isn't that true? We have great victories and great successes, but there are times that we really feel a little bit down and a little bit under the weather. And we really feel, gee, man, I wish I could get over this. You know, over the last 19 months, and I know you've heard this probably a hundred times, but our world has truly changed, hasn't it? And we know of many people, I'm sure, that in our circles, our family and friends, who have been negatively affected by what has happened around us. And because of this and many other things, people are finding themselves in a place that they never thought they would be in. Listen to some of these statistics. In 2020, just last year, and I believe it has carried over into 2021, but in 2020, in the United States alone, and I'm sure this is affected around the whole world, they have a hotline called the Mental Health Hotline. And that hotline went up 900% in 2020. The Center for Disease Control reported that one out of four young people under the age of 30 considered suicide. Divorce went up by 20%, and anti-depression medication went up 300%. What is happening here, church? The world has changed. Things are not the way they used to be. And we believe that with statistics like this and many, many others, we believe that this is not something for the world to solve. We believe that this is something for God and the church to solve, amen? This is what we should be doing, helping people. Now, as I've mentioned this message tonight, this is going to be a two-part message. I'm starting tonight with the first one, and then, obviously, next week, uh, the good doctor, Dr. Andre, he's going to take it from there, and he's going to give us some good steps on how to solve this challenge. But I'm going to focus my message on the life of Elijah. But before I get there, before we get into what the Bible says on the subject, let me give you two observations, which are important up front and are worth saying so that people understand where we're going with this message. This will give us some context to where the message is going, but really cover it well as, uh, as we go through it. The first thing is this. We need to understand that there are some real biological reasons for depression, and it doesn't have to do with things like the pandemic 2020, or the challenges that are happening around us. The fact is that there are some genetic and biological issues that can happen in a person's mind. They can happen in a person's mind. If we then allow biology to have the whole narrative, if we let them try and solve this problem, we will miss some of the solutions that are out there, and then people will never really be free because they can't solve all the challenges. So one thing that we discovered as we went through these studies and as we prepared this message is this. You need to know this. Depression is not a malfunction of the mind. It's a signal. Depression is not a malfunction of the mind. It's just a signal. How many of you drive a car? How many have you ever driven a car and a little red light comes up on the dashboard to warn you about something? There's nothing wrong with the dashboard. The dashboard is just telling you there's something else that needs attention. 
And we need to understand that when people go through these challenges, that that is just a signal pointing them towards what the real challenge is. And we need to understand that. And that's the first thing that we need to understand. The second thing is this, that there is unfortunately a real stigma attached to mental illness and depression, a negative stigma that's attached to it. Let me give you an example this evening. I've got some reading glasses here. And if I put on my reading glasses and I wear them, my, by wearing glasses or by putting on these reading glasses, I'm really saying to you that my eyes are not operating as they should. They're not perfectly 100% optimal working as they should. You don't think any less of me because I'm wearing glasses. You don't think that my faith is affected because I'm wearing glasses. Really what this is saying is that my eyes are not operating as they should. And we need to understand that just as my eyes are a part of my body, so is my mind. And my mind is also just a part of my body. And if it's not operating as it should, then we can do something about that. And it's important for us, family, to know that my illness is not my identity. Your illness is not your identity. People, unfortunately, get stuck with that. You see, what a person is feeling is not who they are. It's just what they are struggling with at that moment. Right? I mean, you're not a cold if you have one. <laughs> That's not who you are. It's just what you're struggling with at that moment. And that cold will pass, especially if you're in this church, we'll pray it away, praise the Lord, and then you'll be good again. Amen? Now let me give you the end of the story before we give you the beginning. Is that okay? And this is the end. Family, God wants you free. He wants your loved ones free. That's his plan and purpose. He wants you to be free. Unfortunately, some people look at their challenge and they say, this is just my lot in life. I just want to, I'm going to have to live with this and I'm just going to have to uh, struggle through this whole thing. But that's not the truth. God wants you free. And we at Christian Family Church, we believe 100% that every person can know God. Every person can know God. Every person can find freedom and walk in freedom. They can discover their purpose and know what am I on this planet for? And they can go and make a difference in this world. We believe that 100%. That's our values. That's what we stand on. We believe that. You see, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, the Word of God says, says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. For freedom. That's what He wants. The Bible calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. He wants you to walk in peace. He wants you to have victory. He didn't come to pay a price so that we could struggle. Amen? And so just as we're dealing with this subject on depression and mental illness, He paid the price for that as well. That is not excluded in the things that he paid the price for. You know, family, even some of the best struggle, even some of the best struggle with depression and mental illness. If you read through the Bible, and I'm sure you have read through many accounts in the Bible, you'll see that God uses all kinds of people, all kinds of people. God used murderers. God used adulterers. And yes, God even used some that were struggling with depression. One of those is a man by the name, a prophet by the name of Jeremiah, a great prophet. As he obviously, he wrote the book of Jeremiah, but he also wrote a book, a whole book dedicated to depression called Lamentations. <laughs> Let's lament. Let's just 
think about all of this. He wrote a book on it. So let's see what he has to say here in Lamentations 3 from verse 17. And this is him speaking. Listen to what he said. From verse 17, it says, I have been deprived of peace. In other words, my peace is gone. I don't have it. I have been deprived of peace. He says, I have forgotten what prosperity is. Can you imagine that? Times must be tough when you forget what it's like to be in a good place. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped for, a hope from the Lord, his splendor and everything that he had hoped from the Lord is gone. He's almost saying, Lord, do you hear me? Can you hear me? He goes on to say, I remember my affliction and my wanderings, the bitterness and the gall. He's thinking on these things. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. My soul. What is your soul? Your soul is your will, your mind, and your emotions. He's saying my soul is downcast within me. Well, obviously, Jeremiah, if that's what you're speaking, that's what you have. That's what he's declaring. If we go over into the New Testament, the great apostle Paul, you all know great apostle Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We read his readings probably every single week. Every one of us reads something about what he had to say. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8. He said these, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Listen to this. Far beyond our ability to endure. In other words, we had come to the end. I can't handle this, God. This is far beyond my ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. That's throwing your hands up and say, Lord, help me. I've come to the end. I'm not where I should be. He even wrote that. If we go to uh, the Old Testament, back to uh, 1 Kings, we're going to read here today, and this is our focus scripture for this evening, about the story of Elijah. You know, Elijah is probably one of the greatest prophets. Probably one of the greatest prophets. I mean, Elijah was on the Mount of Transfiguration of the Lord Jesus. So even heaven elevates this man to be there. And here we're going to see what happened in his life. Before we get into reading what we're going to read this evening, which is in 1 Kings 19, I want to just take your chapter back because it's important to understand the context of the story. So in chapter 18, and I'm sure we all read this before some way, this is some of the greatest preaching material that's out there of what happened. As you know, there was a huge drought in the land, and uh, Elijah was challenging the prophets of Baal. And he was challenging them, and they built an altar, and uh, they had to call down fire and to destroy this altar, and there was no response, and he was mocking their gods. Maybe they're asleep. Maybe they're not listening. And he's really giving them a hard time. Then he builds an altar for the Lord, and in the time of drought, you know, he, he just fills that thing with water, absolutely drenches with water. God answers by fire, comes down, consumes everything. He then has all those 450 evil prophets put to death by the sword. After that, if you think that's all the victory, he then prays and rain comes after they haven't had rain for several years. No rain for over three years. He prays and rain comes and the problem is gone. He has a man who's just been on the highest of high, the greatest victories. God has answered by fire. He's destroyed these evil prophets. Rain came as he prayed. You can imagine this man is at the top of his game. Would you agree with me? I mean, it's just great. 
Now we read what happens just a little bit further on in 1 Kings 19 from verse 1. And verse 1 says this. Now Ahab, who was the king, told Jezebel, who was his wife, obviously the queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So he was just relaying the story. In modern day term, the king would say, hey, babe, let me just tell you about this guy, Elijah. Let me tell you what he did, you know, blah, blah, blah. Tells the story. So obviously she wasn't too excited about that. So it says this. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Listen very carefully. All Elijah got was a message. If it was today, maybe that was the tweet on his page. Maybe that was a message on his Facebook. I don't know, something like that. But it was just a message. All she sent, she didn't send him the hitman. He didn't pitch, just a message. So she sends a messenger to Elijah, and this is what it says. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, we kill you. Just a message. Not a hitman, not a sniper, not an assassin. Just a message. So that, was, that was the message on his Facebook page. That's what his message on his Facebook page. That's what he had. And he has a man who's come off the highest high, who's wiped out 450 prophets, had gone on Sabah fire, got rain to come, and he runs afraid because of a text message, <laughs> because of an SMS, because of a Facebook message. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, it says. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, now that's very important, Bathsheba, why is that important? Because at Bathsheba, that was the place where God originally called him to ministry. Bathsheba was the place where God placed him and called him into ministry. And he went back to that place and he runs from his calling. He runs from his calling. It says here, he left his servant there. Big mistake, say with me, wrong choice. He left his servant there. When he came to um, Sorry, he left his servant there, lost my place here for a moment. And then he went uh, a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. A broom bush is a low-hanging tree. He sat down under it, and this is what he prayed. And family, many people, over the last 19 months, because of what life circumstances has done, and because of the challenges they've faced, they've probably prayed a prayer like this. And he prayed this prayer and said that he might die. He prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Why he threw that in there? We'll find out later, but I don't know why he would have thrown I'm no better than my ancestors. But this is what he prayed. And so, family, what we are going to see tonight is specifically from this account, we're going to learn six things that get people into a point of depression. Six things that can cause people to get to that place where they have mental illness. You see, his story goes on, and he actually goes into a cave. And you all know what a cave is like, right? A cave is dark, it's dingy, it's not great inside of there. When you're inside a cave, you feel lost. You know there's a way out, but you just don't know where. If you feel around the walls, things don't feel great, and you know what's inside of caves? Bats. <laughs> that's not great. So that's like a, a good description of what a person feels like when they're in depression. They feel lost. They know there's a way out. They just don't know how to get out. Things don't feel great. Things are not working. And so we're going to learn, or we're going to look at six things that cause people to get into this state, into this position. And so are you ready? If you've got your notes, the first one 
is a thing called life imbalances. Life imbalances. Johan Hari is an author of a book called Lost Connections. He wrote this book called Lost Connections, and this is what he said. He said, we need to stop talking as much about chemical imbalances and more about imbalances in the way we live. Because the lifestyles of people these days has turned completely upside down. You see, church, more and more research is pointing to our lifestyles as the main factor that causes depression. You know, in Proverbs uh, 12, verse 25, it says this, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. People have filled their lives with so many different things, their life's in balance, that they get anxious about stuff. I've got to take care of that. How am I going to handle that? Gee, I've got this on my plate. What must I do now? Anxiety comes in. That's what the Bible says. Too many people have created a pace in life that they cannot sustain. You must know this, church. Not everything that is doable is sustainable. Not everything that is doable is sustainable. Let me give you just a practical example. I've never run the comrades, Pastor Andre has. But what I do know is when the gun goes off, you can't sprint as fast as you can and think you're going to do that for 90 kilometers. It's doable, but it's not sustainable. You can do that when the gun goes. But I can promise you, you probably won't see 90 kilometers. And what happens in life, church, is that people are taking on so much. They're taking on things. I can handle this. I can handle this. But it's not sustainable to them. Stephen Lardy is an author who wrote a book titled The Depression Cure. He wrote this book, and this is what he said. Stephen Lardy said this. We were never designed for the sedentary. Sedentary is sitting behind a desk 12 hours a day. We were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food-laden, sleep-deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. God never designed us for that. He never made you and I for that. In Ecclesiastes 4 verse 6, we read the following. It says this, better one handful with tranquility. It's better just to have one handful of life that you can handle, that you have tranquility, than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Everybody thinks two is better, right? But sometimes we, oh, we overburden ourselves with things because we want so much of it, but we can't sustain it. I mean, let's be honest. If one rand is good, two rand is better, right? If one donut is good, two donuts are better. If one wife is good, two wives are wrong. Wrong. Just wanted to make sure you're awake there. Okay. <laughs> but the thing is this, is that people are having two handfuls of life and they're not sustaining it, and it's putting pressure on them. The second thing that we've learned through the studies is the following, that this is one of the other things that causes people to get into that state, is comparing themselves with others. Comparing themselves with others. Remember what Elijah said when we read in his story? He said, I'm no better than my ancestors. Well, what is he comparing himself to his ancestors for? Family, look at me. You are a, God is a creator, not a duplicator. He made you unique. You don't have to compare yourself to others. You don't have to see if you're the same as John, Mary, Jack, Tundu, or whatever. No, 
You are who you are. God made you that way. You see, the research goes on to tell us that it's showing that one of the causes of depression is that people are consistently looking over their shoulders to see what everybody else is doing. What's this one up to? What's that one up to? They're comparing their life to that. And this is one of the major problems, they say, with social media. Sorry for you guys who love Facebook and all those things, but this is one of the major problems. People want to be compared. People are getting into depression because they're not getting enough likes. It's just a fact. It's a fact. This is what's happening. In fact, one of the, um, um, uh, um, sorry, I've lost my place there. People are obviously are looking at what everybody else is doing, comparing their lives with other people. Listen to this from John Maxwell. Listen to this. John Maxwell said this. According to a recent survey, Americans, and if it's happening in America, it's happening here. Don't think that we're any different. Americans are spending between four and six hours a day looking at social media on their phones. Think about that. Four to six hours a day. You're probably not even awake for 16 hours. And four to six of those people are looking at their phones. What are they doing? They're spending time, wasting time, looking to see what other people are doing with their time. That's what they're doing. That's all they're doing. You see, family, we don't need to know what the next person has for dinner. I don't need to know what you have for dinner. I don't need to know what your recipe is for bean soup or whatever it is. I don't need to know that. We just don't need to know. Why? Because Theodore Roosevelt said this, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Because when you compare and you don't have what they have, it steals your joy. Instead of just being grateful for what you got and worshiping the Lord and thanking Him, you know, God, you're good to me. I've got a roof over my head. I've got food to eat. I've got clothes on my back. But no, we look, wow, they got that car. they got that house, wow. And it steals your joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Galatians chapter 6 says this from verse 5. It says, each one should test their own actions. Test their own actions. Then they can take pride, that's a godly pride, in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Family, listen to me. You are responsible for your calling for your calling, not anybody else's. Paul said, I've run my race. Run my race. He didn't look to say how they didn't. He ran my race. When you get to the end of it, you're only running against yourself, not against anybody else. And so people are not doing that. They're comparing themselves, and, and that's not what God has called you to do. He's called you to focus on what He's destined you to do. The same research that I mentioned now about all the social media said that all this online social media viewing is reshaping the minds of people. That's what it's doing. And this is what's starting to come out. A lot of these content creators are now apologizing. They're apologizing for what they've done. And in fact, many of them do not even allow their own children to be on Facebook, to be on all these things. Why? Because it's just too much for the mind. It's too much for the mind. I don't know if you know about this, but uh, uh, both Bill Gates and Steve Jobs did not allow their children to go to schools where they were taught off of devices. Isn't that interesting? The biggest producers of electronic devices did not even allow their children to go to those institutions. Why? Because it affects the mind. Good old-fashioned paper. It's better to read the Bible like this, in my mind. Anyway, but 
That's not what I wanted to minister on this evening. Just thought I'd throw it in there. You see, family, just remember this. You don't need to know everything about everybody. You just don't need to know. The third thing is this, ruminating and self-talk. Ruminating and self-talk. If you keep on reading the story about Elijah, you'll see that Elijah has a conversation with God, and I'm just paraphrasing now, and he says, God, you know, I've been working hard for you. I've really been working hard for you, and you're not noticing. I'm doing all these things for you. I killed all these wicked people, and I'm the only good one left. That's what he said. You know that wasn't true, but here's the thing. He knew it wasn't true as well. You see, he believed, he, he talked himself into believing a lie. He talked himself into believing a lie. And family, he was doing what psychologists call ruminating. Ruminating is when someone takes their distress and they start thinking about it and it doesn't get better, it gets worse. It never gets better, it gets worse. You know that a, 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 a ruminate, a cow is a ruminating animal. A cow is a ruminating animal. Why? Because this is what it does. A ruminating animal chews the cud. In other words, the cow eats the grass, chews it, swallows it, vomits it back into its mouth, chews it again, swallows it, vomits it back into its mouth, chews it again, and swallows it. And you all know, every time it comes back up, it tastes worse than the time it went back down. I'm sure you can agree with me. And you see, the same happens with your thoughts. The same happens with your thoughts. You think on it, you ponder on it, it comes back, it's worse. And you make a big thing. It's like an avalanche. It starts off small, eventually gets so big that no one can stop it. And that's the problem. That's what happens with ruminating. That's what the cows do. You see, family, the devil loves self-talk. He loves self-talk. He loves it when you do that. That's his favorite environment because he knows that the battlefield's in the mind. And if you can just get stuck there, you're just going to just destroy yourself. He doesn't even have to get involved. That's why the Bible says in Corinthians, it says that you must take captive every thought and bring it into obedience to Christ. That's what you must do. Brian Tracy said this. Listen to this. Brian Tracy says, 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. Apostle Theo wrote a book titled The Power of Positive Words. You need to get it if you don't have it. We need to have positive words. That's what we need to do. And that's why Philippians 4 is so powerful. You know this very well. Verses 8 to 9 says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things things. And it goes on to say, when you do that, then the God of peace will be with you when you think on the right things. We need to make sure that we don't get ourselves into that place of self-talk and ruminating over the challenges that we face. The fourth thing that causes people to get into depression is the inability to process pain in a healthy way. You might think, gee, who wants to process pain? But there is a way to deal with your pain. There is a healthy way to deal with it. You know, in the past 19 months, you all know this, I'm sure this is not new, that there's been a huge increase in drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and they are even finding out that people now are binge eating because they don't know how to process what they are going through. And they don't know what they should be doing. So they look for a solution in something else. 
drinking, drugs, eating, all those things to try and solve the challenge that they're facing. And we know that doesn't help. There's a Jewish psychiatrist by the name of Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. This man, Viktor Frankl, he treated the Holocaust victims who survived the Holocaust. That's what he did. That was his main focus. And every one of his patients, every one of them was suicidal. Every one of them. Now, uh, Victor had a different theory to Freud. Freud believed that the goal of life was pleasure. The goal of life was pleasure. But Franklin said, no, the goal of life is not pleasure. The goal of life is purpose and it's meaning. And if you, um, if you don't have purpose and meaning, you will fill your life with pleasure and then it won't last. You'll fill your life with pleasure if you don't have meaning and if you don't have purpose. Many people have done that. They've gone and they bought themselves a new car. Oh, wonderful. This is great pleasure. Six months later, they are regretting the payments. That pleasure is gone. And so Frankel, because of all of this, he created a theory called logotherapy. You can check it out. You can Google it. Logotherapy. And logotherapy includes these three things. These three things. Number one, he says, you need to help someone find meaningful work. You need to help someone find meaningful work. And church, let me say this to you. That's one of the reasons we have dream teamers. That's one of the reasons we have people serving in groups. Because they're doing something meaningful. You can speak to our dream teamers. They love what they do. Because what they do is making a difference. They are making a difference. So he said you need to help people find meaningful work. The second thing you need to do is you need to do it with a community of friends. Do it with a community of friends. And the third thing is this, and you need to find reason and purpose for your suffering, to use it in some way to help others. Can't just get stuck in the challenge. What can I do with the experience I've been through? You see, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4 to 6 says this, God comforts us in our troubles so that so we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. There's a purpose you've gone through what you've gone through. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. Listen to me, family. I know that going through pain is not great, but there is purpose in your pain. Listen to this. Very important. Your life experiences do not disqualify you. Your life experiences do not disqualify. Your life experiences qualify you to help someone who's going through the exact thing you've been through. Who better to help a couple who's who's struggling with a divorce than somebody who's been through it and had the victory? Who's better to help somebody who's overcome drug addiction and walked a successful road? They can tell you what to do if you're struggling with it. And so there's purpose in your pain. You're not disqualified because you've done the things that are happening in your life. You are qualified to help people because you've been through it. And then the fifth thing is this, and this is a big one, is isolation and loneliness. Isolation and loneliness. Listen to this. We are the loneliest society in human history. We have more connections digitally and more lonely people ever recorded in human history. Isn't that sad? We can connect with anybody around the world, 
but yet we're more lonely because there are superficial relationships. There's nothing real there. Nothing real there. And so we need to know, family, that the first problem in the Bible wasn't sin. The first problem in the Bible was solitude. Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good. Listen, if God says something is not good, it's not good. He said it's not good that man should be alone. Now, I know this, this term social distancing, it's, it's the wrong term. And I understand that, that the leaders of the world were trying their best, and they thought that was a solution. That was the wrong term. It should never have been called social distancing. It should have, it should have rather been called physical distancing. But we should have been socially more together. That's what we should be doing. Because when you separate people, amen, praise the Lord. When you separate people, family, what you are doing is you're isolating them. And when people are isolated, they, they cannot deal with their problems. Just cannot deal with it. You see, true life change happens in the context of relationships. And that's why it's so important to be in a group. We need to be in a group. We need to be among people. We just have to be there. You see, Romans 12 verse 5 says this. Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. I need you. You need me. We need each other, and we need to understand that. You see, Elijah left his servant behind. Worst mistake he could have made is to go it alone. It's not about me. It's about we. And I want to just say to everybody here today, I want to commend you. Well done for being in church. You've done the right thing. You truly have. You've come together. That's the right thing. We miss you online, but it would be better if you were here. And if you're in a group, well done to you. I want to tell you, get in a group. Do life together, family. We need each other. Now, before I get to the last one, the last one is the only one that's not found in any research as a cause for depression. And it is a cause, and it's probably the biggest miss. By all these doctors and psychologists, it's the biggest miss. You see, you need to know that you are not a human being with a body and emotions. You are made in the image and likeness of God, and you have the Spirit of God inside of you. That's what you have. You see, you are not a human being having temporary spiritual experiences, but you are a spirit being having temporary human experiences. That's what you are. And family, your spirit can and will affect all the other parts of you. If your spirit man is low, it affects all the other parts of you. If your spirit man is on a high, it affects all the other parts of you. And we need to understand that. And that's why we need to understand the sixth one. And the sixth one is this, spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. What if I told you tonight that I had some inside information and I knew 100% sure that there's a very, very bad evil person, a bad evil person, and they've got the key to your house. They managed to get the key to your house. And tonight when you're asleep, they're coming. They're on their way. They're coming to your house tonight. And when you're asleep, they're going to open up. They're going to tie up your children, duct tape them, take them away, clean out your house. They're coming tonight. And when you wake up, everything you love will be gone. What would you do? If I told you that, let me give you the answer. What you would do is you would stay up all night. You'd stay up and you'd be ready, right? You'd be alert. You might even introduce them to your friends, Smith and Wesson. 
You might need to introduce him to your friend Smith and Wesson. But the truth is, family, 1 Peter 5 says this from verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. It's interesting how the Lord started that verse with those words. Be self-controlled and alert. Why? Why? Your enemy. Look at me. You have one. Don't think everybody loves you. There is an enemy. He's called the devil. He doesn't like you. And the feeling's mutual. I don't like him either. You see, your enemy, the devil, listen to this, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's what he's doing. He's looking to devour someone. Now, you know lions. If you ever watch those documentaries, a lion doesn't like walk through the grass and walk up to the animal and say, hey, man, I'm hungry. Can I just eat you? Doesn't do that, right? Sneaks up. A lion's the same color as the grass. Have you noticed that? He comes in without you being aware. And that's why God is saying to believers, he's speaking to the church here, be alert, church. There's a roaring lion out there. He wants to come after you. He wants to destroy you. What must you do? He goes on to say, resist him, standing firm in the faith. You need to resist him. You need to do something. The little animal in the bush there, even when it sees the lion, can't just lie down. That animal has to do something, preferably run. <laughs> okay, that's the animal. But we don't because we have been given weapons of our warfare. And we need to use them. In Ephesians, the Bible talks about an armor of God. But it starts off in verse 11 by saying, you need to put it on. You can have all the weapons to go into war with. You can have your full armor. It's no good in the cupboard. You need to put it on. You need to put on these weapons of your warfare. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And that is one of the biggest causes is that people are not aware. They're not alert. And the devil's coming around like a roaring lion. And he's devouring and people are getting into depression and they're struggling through life because they're not standing up and fighting. Church, you need to read the Bible every day. You need to pray every day. And you, you're in church, so you're awesome. But you need to be in church every weekend so that you can stand firm. I want to say that God has given us authority, but we need to use it. So family, those are the six things that caused people to get into the cave. Remember next weekend, Pastor Andre's coming, our resident good doctor. He's coming, and he's going to help us with five ways to get out of it. So you have to come back, right? Come back for the message. Bring others with you. Get them to church. This is an important subject, and I believe we'll all walk in victory. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, won't you give the Lord a praise? Amen? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. And as you're sitting here, perhaps you find yourself in this place and you, you feel lost and you feel lonely and you feel challenged, you feel down. I want to first of, all, first of all say God loves you, family, and He has a solution. And your first step is to make Him Lord of your life. Step number one. You see, Romans says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. In other words, you will be in right standing with God. And so I want to pray that prayer with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not asking you to come forward. I'm not going down to where you are. You stay in your seat. And in a moment, when I count to three, all I want you to do, when I count to three, is just to raise your hand above your head so that I know you want prayer. And then you can take it down again in a moment. I also want to extend this, this invitation to those of you that once served the Lord. You served Him, but you know your relationship has grown cold and you want to come back to Him. Well, friend, allow me to include you in that prayer. 
And you can know for sure tonight that you're back in right standing with God. And then my last invitation is to anybody, whether you're online, in person, wherever you are, and you're saying, you know, I just don't know if I were to breathe my last, would I make it to heaven? Friend, don't let this meeting close without that question being answered. Allow me to include you in this prayer, and you can know for sure that heaven is your home. So as I count to three, you want to come to Lord for the first time, come back to Him or know for sure that heaven is your home. Won't you raise your hand now? One, two, three. Just raise it above your head. God bless you, sir. Good decision. Just raise it above your head and wave at me so I can see. Praise God. God bless you. God bless you. Great decision. You in the other venues, you can raise your hands there online. Won't you do that as well? Just raise your hand as a sign that you're reaching out and saying, Jesus, help me. Now, friend, I want to pray a prayer with you tonight. I'm going to ask everybody, all of you here tonight, to join in and pray with us together. So especially those that have raised their hands, you say that. But let's all pray this together. Say this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight just as I am. I ask you, Father, please forgive me for every sin. I do believe Jesus is Lord and he was raised from the dead. I also choose tonight to forgive every person who has hurt me or offended me. And because of my choice, I now know I am part of your heavenly family. You are my father. I am your child. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.